Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. Today is uh, June 21st, 2022 and this is Q&A number 97 for my Facebook virtual coaching group. Uh, this week we are going to get into the topic of part two of five parts for the month of June um, and it's probably going to go into July as well, Horsemanship Challenge. And this part is about groundwork. So I hope everybody read part one and is working on part one at this time. Um, that is a really important thing to look over first and then go from there. Um, also, let's see here. We are uh, some reminders. Um, I cannot stress how important foundation is, and that's why we're doing this horsemanship um, and how important slow, perfect pattern is. And then your mental game, people kind of put things in a little bit backwards sometimes. Sometimes they uh, put the barrel pattern before they put the basics on the horse. Sometimes they put speed before they've got a solid pattern or foundation. And so then, of course, things don't go well because the horse isn't prepared. It's no different than putting an elementary child, elementary school child into college. They're just not ready. So, um, so those are things that I just can't stress enough. Um, you know, having a strong mental game doesn't do any good if the horse, uh, if you can't trust your horse to go in there and work because they're not educated to do so. Education with speed takes time, but it also becomes it uh, has to come from a solid foundation as well as good rider cues. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle to get to the top of your performance level. Um, state finals in Florida was this past weekend. Uh, also, the Youth American was going on Mississippi. There was some junior and high school finals going on, I believe, in Perry. Um, there was a lot going on all over the place. So um, I did find that the state finals had a lot smaller entries this year. It's usually a 750, 800 in the open. There was only 600, so it was a small turnout. A lot less 1D horses, but the ones that were there were great. And um, the times were still fast. A 14 won, won the finals in one go-around. So that's awesome. And it's the first time we've ever, I think, had a clean sweep, at least. I, I actually think there was maybe one other. I think it might have been Dave Ralph winning the open finals and the senior finals, but not every go around. So, but I, I do remember there was a couple and then I think maybe there was one other person that won a go around and the finals in the past 10 years. I'd have to go back and look, but it's pretty cool. I don't know that there's ever been a clean sweep where they won all three. So it was still a really exciting finals. Um, and there were several people that had several horses get back in the top 15. Uh, Debbie Ruth had two in the top 15. Um, Dave Ralph had two in the top 15. So there were some really, really nice horses. And um, uh, let's see, uh, Crystal Shoemate and her boyfriend, Derek Pyle, they had two horses in the top 10 or 15. So, so it was a really nice finals. It really was. Um, I enjoyed it. I hope everyone did. It's always exciting watching the last 10 horses go. You get really emotional. And it's always most emotional if the very last horse to run wins it. I remember the year Kaylee Bass and Brittany Posey and oh gosh, there was just so many really cool people there that year and it was down to the last five. It got so intense and you know they play the 
ACDC, ACDC band, you know, music, and it just gets crazy. So it is always exciting and fun. And I probably think that people need something like this. They need to see someone chasing their dreams and it coming true. They, you know, it's good to have someone that, um, you know, is a Christian person and maybe good family values and cares about the animal more than the sport and, um, you know, and, and things like that to win, you know, everybody loves a, a good guy story. So I think in, um, America, we, we need that right now. We need to see good things happening. So I think it was one that really touched people. So, but anyhow, um, we had good Lord, I think at least seven or eight personal bests this weekend. Um, I believe the personal best drawing for June is already up to about 20 names. So that's awesome. And a lot of you had personal best fast times at state this weekend. So I'm working on videos as we speak, um, just waiting for them to download. That seems to be the longest process of my life. So <laughs> everything takes time. But anyhow, um, what else? I, I really just feel like, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I feel like for other people, maybe your finals didn't go the way you wanted, but... You know, I feel like, I, I feel like this, I feel like sometimes life and competition kind of have similarities. In life, you win or lose. In barrel racing, you win or lose. Um, it does kind of seem uh, silly on a scale of things, you know, to, to play a sport or to compete, but you can still um, help people. Like my idea for TLC in Colorado for eight years, I was really focused on training my own horses, Cash and Callie, and getting them to the 1D, 2D level. And that was my goal and, you know, making a name for myself. And then I was doing some lessons and some training horses and trying to, you know, find my way through. But it wasn't until I got to Florida that I totally made it about wanting to change the things that I thought were ugly in the industry and try to help horse horses with people problems have a better life you know and my favorite client isn't the one who wins the 1d it, it is if they did it because they love the horse first and the sport second but my favorite client is the one who truly loves their horse not because the horse is winning but because they love the horse it's easy to love a horse that's winning but do you still love that horse if they're only you know, in the cracks or 4D or 5D and you want to be 1D or 2D. Um, so I, those are my favorite clients, the people who truly love their horses and just want to do the best they can do with the horse that they have. And, um, and I want the competitive riders, obviously. I love 1D and 2D horses and riders, but, and I understand um, that you're going to sell a bunch of horses to get to that level and all of that. And I have no problem with that either. Just, you know, call it out for what it is. You know, you're going to find them a good home, but I still think you can get to that level and still put the horse first and still love the horse and do it the right way. So, um, so by all means, you know, I love every aspect of the barrel racing. I just don't love the aspect 
I shouldn't say I love every aspect. I love most of it. There's some things I don't like about it. You know, the the way horses can be misused and, you know, how the uh, glory and fame sometimes come in front of the horse. You know, those things make me sad. Some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes makes me sad. Or the horses that are, you know, not not treated fairly and people are running them before they're prepared those kind of things so so that's the stuff that I hope to change with ride with heart you know um that's always been my biggest goal the last 25 years of my life um so anyways I'll get off that soapbox and go on to what we're going to cover today and I have a lot of really good questions come in um but before I do I want to tell a quick little story about Amelia Amelia's in my group. She's come to private lessons. She's come to clinics. Um, she's, her mom sends me her videos. She started with me when she was eight. Two years ago, she ran at State on Suna, which is a really nice horse her mother trained. And um, Suna works with her and rides her. And she hit three barrels and was a 17. And mind you, 14s win State. Um, and uh, this year, though, this year she runs two years later and she runs a 14-7 and uh, she would have been fifth in the 1D youth. She only made one run. They hauled up there just for youth. That was it. And I'm uh, getting ready for Youth World in July. Um, they barely got that third barrel on the backside. It was literally just a little more pocket than she needed going into it. So they cut, lost their pocket on the backside. But it was literally fifth in the 1D for the youth with almost 300 riders in the youth. So super exciting story. And just a story to say, hey, don't ever give up. Realize that you can hit three barrels and win a pizza and run a 17 when everyone else is running 14s. But come back two years later and be in the 1D. So so that's just, you know, what I mean about um, never knowing, you know, and not giving up. In 10 years old, she's doing that. So that's awesome and exciting. So, but we had a, a lot of other awesome ones. You know, here's Barbara in Memphis qualifying for the finals in the 2D, a 14-8. I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff happening. Um, Fran had a personal best. Um, you know, her 16-2 qualified back for the finals. So, so, I mean, just a lot of cool stuff happened. So, I'm excited for you. Um, there was quite a few other ones. Vanessa and Hunter placed in the rodeo fourth. And Beverly and Lightning were just out of the 3D money with only, like, their fifth competition run. And um, boy, Carson and Presley tore it up at the American Youth with 900 entries. They were in the top of the 2D and 3D to win money and buckles and such for the weekend, which is phenomenal with that many entries. And that was the American youth in uh, Mississippi. So um, let's see. There was just some really good stuff going on. Katrina, Angel and Guy, Melissa and Malibu. Um, just a lot of good runs. Uh, Roxanne and Sky. I mean, just some really awesome, awesome deals. So I'm really happy for you all. Congratulations. Um, the first question was about uh, mindset shifting. And... Um, it's a skill, y'all. It's definitely a skill. You can be the glass is half empty or the glass is half full kind of person. Um, most people in the rodeo world are religious, are Christians, um, and they, you know, go to God for for their their faith and all of that. And some of you may not be. Maybe you know you just put it out in the universe. But I'm not here to make anyone feel one way or the other. I obviously am a Christian and I pray about things and. 
and try to, you know, um, just put God first and go from there. And I set my goals and hope that my purpose and passion is helping others and, and, um, also taking care of me and my farm and my horses and my future. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not one of those people that feels like I need to have all the fancy big stuff. I just love a simple, peaceful life and everything paid for. Um, and that makes me happy. So, um, so I think mindset is important. I think you need to know what success is to you. Is it being rich? Is it making money? Is it being rich in relationships or material things or your barrel racing goals? Um, I think everybody has to know what that is. Um, your subconscious mind um, sees things a certain way. Sometimes you have negative things from your childhood. You know, maybe you have memories of being poor as a kid or your parents splitting up or not having support or any of that. Um, you know, maybe you just have a habit in your life from the life that you grew up with. So your brain thinks that you should be in that position or, you know, I'm not good at this or I can't be good at that. You know, but honestly, we have to remember what we focus on is where our energy goes. So some people um, want to be safe and want to set limits on their self. Other people want to just go for it and have no limits and, you know, and, and believe that they can win all three go arounds at a barrel race, you know. And um, so I think you need to decide uh, if you want to replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Um you know, people are hard on themselves. You can be hard on yourself about your weight, your age, your looks, uh, your riding ability, your horse, your self-confidence, your mental game. Anytime you say a negative out loud, your brain tries to copy it. So that's what I mean about being a half-empty or a half-full person. So um, it's important that you do that one-minute positive sprint for yourself when you find yourself getting nervous. It's important that you find yourself a routine of how you warm up and how you prepare the one go around before or one um, drag before you're up. All of those things really matter. So the next question was about the right saddle for your horse. Um, they want to know if they should go with a tree or a treeless. And honestly, it has to fit your horse. That's the number one thing. The second thing is you have to feel comfortable and confident in it. And the third thing is you have to be a balanced rider. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're a size 6 or a size 14. What matters is that you ride balanced. So it is important um, that you can have a good centered seat, balanced riding in the saddle. Um, your stirrup lengths, all of that. So there's a lot that goes into it. I would say try different saddles and see what fits your horse, what you feel comfortable in. I find people either love or hate a treeless, but there's a lot of good quality trees out there. Um, but those are the first three things I would say. Fit my horse, and then fit yourself, that you're confident in it, and then be sure you're a good balanced rider. There's some high quality saddles. I wouldn't skimp on your saddle. Most saddles today are two to $3,000 and up. I wouldn't buy any of those ostrich seats or stingrays. They're slick as snot. They're not going to hold you in the turns. I prefer a rough out seat. You can get everything else fancy and pretty, but I would stick with a rough out seat because you want it to hold you. Um, you know, I wouldn't go with any of those like stingray and stuff. They're very, very slippery. I've had several clients get them and sell them. So 
let's see, next question. Um, and I did a little uh, thing in here. This was uh, about um, uh, steroid injections and Lasix. And honestly, I feel like this is an individual thing that you need to talk over with your vet. Um, me personally, I do things in an order of six ways and you can write this down, but I believe in prevention, nutrition, and conditioning first. Um, if you're feeding a crappy diet and you're not doing anything to make sure your horses are getting quality vitamins and minerals and chelated amino acids, I feed dynamite one ounce a day. That way I know they're getting all of that in one little scoop. Um, and I just feed hay. I feed orchard and alfalfa hay and my girls look great. Rocky too, shiny and, and fit. So um, of course, every horse is different, but I don't do feed. I haven't done feed in a long, long time, um, probably six years. Um, but as far as conditioning goes, um, you know, it's not fair to pull a horse out of a pasture and go to barrel race. You've got to have them fit. So that's, to me, is really important. They could hurt themselves, you know, but, you know, you don't want to push them so hard they're wearing their joints out faster either. So it has to be responsible. Second is not pushing them too soon. Um, and resting them when they're sore. You know, sometimes these people are pushing these two and three and four-year-olds so hard, it's no wonder why they can't stay sound when they get older. Um, and and then third, um, you need a team of people you trust, a vet, a chiropractor, a farrier, a dentist. Um, those are all very important things to have people that you trust and then discuss it with them. And if you trust them, take their advice on it. Um, the next thing... I personally, if I, you know, if I was thinking about steroids for inflammation or pain, I would start with oral first for preventative, um, you know, Cosequin, I use free and easy with dynamite. Um, I would go with natural and holistic first, and then I might talk to my vet about muscle or IV like Legends or Adequan. Um, and I would last do the joint personally. I would do the other three first, um, because here's the deal, I used to have a mare I did injections and it shortened her career. So you have to understand the side effects that go along with some of this and, you know, look at professional sports. They can only have so many steroid injections before they can't have any more and then their joint is toast. So, um, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, bleeder, sometimes rest or not running them in the hot human months, um, Maybe a natural supplement's enough, but by all means, if they're bleeding and the vet recommends Lasix and antibiotics and rest, and you got to do it. Um, and it's not fun for a horse to get scared because their lungs are filling with blood and they think they're drowning. It's scary. So, of course, you've got to do the right thing there. Um, and so, again, this is something you have to discuss with your vet um, preventatively or uh, with an issue. So... Um, the sixth thing is um, putting the horse first before the competition. And um, the next question is, um, you knowing your horse, uh, what do I do on a three-day run? Uh, well, a lot of you just made a three-day run, so need to journal about it. Did your horse get more ready the second day, or did they run harder? Um, and you need to adjust for it, and you need to journal about it. A lot of times, horses get more anticipation and they get more turny the more times they make a run so sometimes you have to drive them harder um, with each each go around 
Um, and other ones get hotter in the alleyway and you got to rate them more, especially your free runners. So you've got to know, do I have a free runner or push horse? Does my horse get stronger or do they get more pushy? Do they start cutting me off more? You know, you've got to journal about that when you do do a two or three day show and remember that, you know, and tune up for it too. Um, the next question was about how to warm a horse up handling the holding pen in the alleyway. Um, when I warm up, I'm going to focus on the individual's needs. Um, when I'm warming up, I'm visualizing that pin and where the stakes are. I want to know where the electric eye is so I don't pull up before it. I want to know what's, where the stakes are for the barrel so I know how to anticipate that turn in case my horse feels you know, like they're going to run by a barrel or maybe rate too soon. Anything that might distract them, um, things like that. But I'll do a lot of you know, pilot to co-pilot, can I flex their nose left and right? Can I walk perfect circles? Can I pick up the shoulder, bend the rib? Can I get the hip in and under? Are they raiding off my body, loose rein, whoa, uh, backing up? You know, I just want to make sure everything's working. Um, you know, I just keep it simple, walk a little bit, trot a little bit, lope a couple circles each way, stretch them out, you know, and get my head together, make sure that they're just ready. You shouldn't be training and warm up. You should just be getting them loose and focused. And that's all warm up is for, especially when it's hot like this, um, short and sweet. Um, some horses might need longer and slower. So you have to, you know, keep that in mind as well. In the holding pen, I just did a little prayer. I do some deep breaths. I pet my horse, and I only try to think of one or two things as I'm heading to the alleyway, like my spot one and spot two, and maybe something extra, maybe sit and say whoa or, or kick and soft hands um, or two hands all the way, whatever the, the horse I'm on needs. So it is important if you're riding multiple horses to take a deep breath and remember which horse you're on and what they need from you. The next question is whether to set a horse up left or right barrel first if they have a neck issue and you've just recently treated them for that and conditioning them, bringing them back. Um, well, if you are going to change directions, I would give it at least five barrel races um, after you do some training of it at home slow at a walk trot lope to let them get used to it and see if they like it. Um, maybe you can just do cookie stretches and massages regularly and you won't have to switch directions, but if you truly think it would help the horse, um, then by all means, it's worth giving it a try. So the next question was about hand placement, um, in competition. So again, this is about, you know, your individual horse. Some horses need two hands all the way to spot one. Other horses, you can go to the horn when you sit for rate. Other horses, you can ride one hand through the whole pattern, but the key is to not pull and to not hold, but to use give and take pressure and to keep it low and forward when you want to trust them and let them work in the turns and just to pick them up and help them when they, you need them to shape or finish a turn. So, of course, um, your rein length, it will depend on the horse's style and their body. Um, you're going to want to look at that as well. Um, but yeah, alleyway control. Um, that was the next question. That's super important you guys, because the first barrel is your money barrel. If you don't have a good first barrel, you're playing catch up the rest of your run. So if you have a horse that checks out in the alleyway, you're going to not probably have a great first barrel. So you have to figure out if you should 
walk, trot, lope, go, um, walk in, shape them going in, leg laterals, get their nose. Um, you know, I don't believe in having a lot of help on the ground or other horses leading my horse in. Um, I realize there's exceptions to the rule if you're in a, you know, situation like state, but I don't like backing a horse in. I don't like gimmicks because they learn they're just band-aids and they learn to not listen to those things. So I want my horse to trust me, to respect me and go in off of my communication because that gives me more confidence that we're a team than them just going in buck wild and someone just slapping them on the butt to make them go for me. You know, I don't like that. I want my horse tuned in, checked in, not checked out and definitely not in the flight mode. So that's my personal opinion. That's my preference um okay and i think we're at the end of my questions just about yes so and then i'll get right into the topic so um this one is more a comment and i mentioned it earlier you know i think you should own it if you love the sport or love the horse like i said um either is fine with me but call it what it is because i've seen people say oh this horse is my heart horse i love them so much and then they're down the road and then they got another heart horse the next week the next month the next year um and go through horses like toilet paper you know it's just sad so i personally think you need to call it what it is <laughs> do you love winning or do you love the horse so um a lot of people change horses like crazy. You got to give them a chance, you guys. This stuff's not going to happen in one year. You can't take a horse and do basics, barrels, competition, seasoning in one year. It usually takes three, four years to do all of that basics, pattern, seasoning. You know, uh, it just takes time. So those are just my thoughts. And I think state gets me riled up because I see so much that I don't like and it gets me fired up. But anyways, um, let's go ahead and get into the groundwork part two. Uh, first lesson, I told you to set some time aside, maybe 30 minutes to just sit in a chair out in your horse's stall or pasture and just hang out. The goal is to see how they interact with you. Of course, keeping safety first. See how long it takes for them to come over to see you, to smell you. Do they rub on you? Do they stay away from you? Um, you know, just see what they do. Do they face you, turn away? Do they, um, do they touch you? Don't touch them first. Just let them make all the decisions. It's about teamwork. It's about bonding. It's about joining up with your horse. And then the next lessons um, that I'm going to mention, take as long as it takes. Meet your horse where they're at. It could take a week. It could take one session. It could take a year. Um, but on the ground... Uh, teach them, number one, there's 13 things I'm going to mention uh, for part two. Number one, teach them to back five to nine steps just off your energy and then do it off of your lead rope uh, and then do it off touching their shoulder. Um, those are important things. Number two, back them through a stall or between some barrels or uh, between some poles or teach them to step off of something like cement to grass or the barn to the dirt. Um, that all prepares them for, you know, being better about backing through tight areas like um, the horse trailer or stall doors or God forbid you have to put them in a straight load one day, not a slant load and they're not used to it. So those are all good things to do. Um, let's see here. Uh, number three, a go forward cue. Do it off of energy, off a lead rope with give and take cue and off of touch as well, like a uh, lunge whip touching their hip and cluck. 
that kind of stuff. A go-forward cue comes in handy for loading a horse in a trailer and not have to get in the trailer with them. Um, the fifth thing is to teach a horse to go over a small jump or ground pulls. Um, also to teach them to squeeze between a small area, maybe between you and a fence or you and a couple barrels. And, um, and just teach them, you know, it's good for horses that can get claustrophobic or horses that aren't real confident with where they're placing their feet or depth perception. That can all be handy. Um, number six, side pass away, uh, side pass away from a fence, um, you know, to a fence, using a fence, no fence, and um, do it off energy, line, and a touch as well, all three. Um, using a line with give and take is great. Using your energy with like a beating of the air, you know, with your hands or something, and also touching is good too, like touching the shoulder and the hip. Um, you can use your line and a lunge whip. Um, both of those work good. Number seven, teaching them a head down cue comes in handy for putting on the bridle, teaching them to calm down. Also teach them um, to break in the pole vertically, uh, left and right laterally, and not move their feet. You can teach all of this. Um, it's helpful for the chiropractor or the dentist or the vet that the horse knows to put their head down on pressure. All of these things can be taught before you ever get in the saddle, lateral and vertical face flexing, or on a rainy day and you're stuck in the barn. Um, that's good to do. And then number eight, uh, yielding the front end and the hind end um, in, for a full 360, but don't do it as a 360. Do it one step at a time. So you'll do like a roll back from the ground one step at a time. So you, there's videos for pretty much all of this stuff in the members only page. But you basically back and take a step over. So it's back, roll back, back, step, back, step, back, step until you do a complete 360. And then you can disengage the hindquarters um, as well for a full 360. And you want to do it off energy, off touch, and off your line, your lead rope. Um, okay. And then number nine is to lunge them over ground poles, over a tarp through water, between a barrel, little jump, things like that. Lunging left, right, forward, and back is very important um, at all speeds. And, and stopping on a loose rein woe just with your voice and body language, that's important. Uh, number 11, um, when they're doing circles around you uh, as you lunge them uh, with you on a block, a mounting block or standing on a barrel, it gets them comfortable with you being above them and communicating above them. So, and then you can also teach them to side pass um, towards you, their shoulder and their hip one step at a time off touch. That's going to take a lot of time and effort. They'll side pass away much easier than they'll side pass too. It takes a lot of time. It's like liberty training, like me having Rocky lunge around me with no halter on. That took a couple of years to get him to do that. So, you know, only 10 minutes, three, four days a week, but still a couple of years. So when you see people doing liberty work, you have to understand they've got one or two years of doing this stuff, and it starts on a lunge line first. And then number three, um, tie patiently to a trailer um, or in the barn for like an hour. I like using a tie ring or a tie clip for safety, um, but patience is good for any horse. And, you know, while you're cleaning stalls or working another horse, you can leave them tied give them a bath, leave them tied, whatever, you know, but you don't have to make it cruel. You can give them a hay bag or put them in the shade. Um, 
I don't believe in, you know, submissive training um, or exhaustion training. So I don't believe you should tie them out in the sun with no hay or water and leave them there for eight hours. I'm not, I'm against that. But I mean, if they're being patient in an hour, let them go back out in their pasture. So they are, they obviously understood the assignment, you know. So um, all of the above that I mentioned develops trust, respect, and communication of cues from the ground. And then next week, we will talk about applying it in the saddle for part three. So thank you for tuning in for this week's podcast. And just remember, some of you went to events this weekend and met your goals and wins and you're super excited and other of you are dealing with life's trials and tribulations and are not in the same boat right now and I get it you know um sometimes you have to realize that sometimes someone else's life looks better than your own but you honestly don't know what they've gone through to get to that point So, you know, we only see the pretty stuff that's posted on Facebook. We don't see the ugly behind-the-scenes stuff that they had to go through to get there. Um, So, again, don't give up. Trust God. Trust yourself. Trust your horse. Chase those goals and those dreams. And I truly believe in my heart that God gives us, every one of us, a passion, a gift, a purpose. And I really hope that you know what yours is and you always try to follow it. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, ride with heart, and God bless.